You're listening to Biz Quick. This is where Julie and Corey provide quick and useful information to small business owners. Biz Quick is the podcast where small business owners get to showcase their businesses and receive expert advice and guidance in areas many entrepreneurs struggle with. And you, the listener, get solutions, tips, and tricks on real-world topics that many small business owners face. Julie and Corey are the experts small businesses hire when they need solutions. And the BizQuick podcast is just one way they deliver those solutions. Let's start the show. Hi, and welcome to BizQuick. I'm Julie. And I'm Corey. And on today's show, we have Tony Watley. Tony is an author, an entrepreneur, and he is the creator of the 365 Driven Community and so many other things. Like it's this introduction doesn't do him justice. Tony's out of Houston, Texas. He's going to come on in a little while and we will spend time with Tony. And um, just as a heads up, even though you're going to be able to see the time, we're probably going over our normal 30 minute podcast on this one because we can't wait to spend some time chatting with Tony. But before he gets on, we're going to talk about that all important topic when it comes to entrepreneurs of desire versus ambition. Yes, this is always a fun topic, especially when you have that conversation. If you are an entrepreneur yourself and you talk to uh, somebody who isn't, they've got, you know, they're just their corporate nine to five job and they always say, oh, I'd always love to start a business. I've always wanted to do X, Y, and Z. I've always wanted to write a book or, I mean, even into things, I've always wanted to run a marathon. There's all of the, I've always wanted to but very little action in order to do any of those things. Yep. It's the, um, I think that's why so many people don't um, share like what their goals are with other people. Right. Because they probably know straight up that they don't actually have what it takes to, to um, complete the goal. And, and I think that goes along with starting a business as well. There's a lot of people who would love to do it but just can't pull the trigger on it because it's a lot of work. We say that all the time though. It's a lot of work, right? Yeah. Well, and it's funny because there's also the the group of people who always talk about like, oh, I'm going to write that book one day. They talk about these goals that they have and then they, they just never follow through. And it's like the, the boy who cried wolf where at some point you just stop believing like, sure, whatever. You'll get around it when you get to it. Uh, just stop telling me about it. I've got a good friend of mine uh, who is in the restaurant industry and he for the past 20 years probably has been like, Oh, I got to get out of this. I got to find a new job. Yeah, he's, I think he turns 44 today. Um, but I've known him forever. And, and he, uh, he, he says that all the time. Oh, I got to get out. I got to find a new job. I'm like, just do it then quit talking about it. But <laughs> if, if you're not going to do anything about it, then stop talking about it. Cause I'm tired of listening to you complain about your crappy job and how you want to be doing something else. I can't wait till we're done recording. So I can ask which friend this is. Well, that's oh, <laughs> actually who I thought you were talking about, but so I have a question for you when it comes to having these like big ambitions, ambitions, air quotes, I'm using, um, and like setting or setting goals for yourself, do you, do you share them with other people or do you usually keep them really private? Oh, I share them with people. And I, it's one, because I like to hold myself accountable, but it, that also kind of, it's like when we wrote a book last year, we, we told everybody that we were going to write a book and people are like, oh, that's cool. And I think that part of the reason that we were so vocal about it is that we didn't want to to just let it go. Like we, we committed to it and we wanted to make sure that everybody knew that 
you know, this book yeah. was coming out. Yeah. Also, we paid somebody $3,000 to help us write it. And neither one of us was willing to just throw that money away into the garbage. I, you know, what's interesting is I think a lot of times, um, and listen, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Beyonce fan, right? I, I mean, I, I appreciate what she does, but I think to myself, she has the same 24 hours in the day that we have. Right. And she just seems to just constantly be producing and producing and producing. I'm like, man, like if I would compare myself to her, which I mean, I don't, because why would I, but, um, I think how does she get so much done in 24 hours? Right. But then I realized recently that there are people, and I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, Corey, there are people who look at us and say, how do they get so much done? Do they ever sleep? Because when you look back at the past year, all of the things that we have accomplished and that we were like, and a lot of times we didn't even tell anybody we were doing them. All of a sudden we just dropped this new thing. Like Beyonce dropped lemonade. We're dropping like foundation 52, like, boom, here it is. Go take it. Or, Hey, our book is out or, Oh yeah, we started a podcast. And it's interesting that even though I can look and think I, we could be doing so much more. There are people that look at us and think, how do they get so much done? And so it's, it's so relative to what you, what you think you're capable of or what it is that you want to accomplish. And I think it's funny when you bring that up where a lot of people uh, look at somebody who's driven, who's got that motor, whoever it is. Uh, you know, one of my favorite people to talk about, Adam Carolla, he talks about that all the time where the, there's certain people who have a motor. And one of the, the celebrities who he always talks about is Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. And he's like, man, this guy, like every day he's putting out something new and then he's going back to professional wrestling to do a debut. And then he started this movie and then he started this business. And it's one of those things where I, like, I wonder for him, and I know that it, it somewhat, I feel this, it's like, you feel guilty if you're not doing something productive, like you're like, well, okay, I did that, but I could be, I could have done something more. I could have done something else. Well, yeah. So you've hit on two, two big things that I want to talk about real quick the first one is this um that's for some people and i'm certainly following this bucket i know that you might but to a lesser degree than me i feel guilty taking time off because i'm like i should be producing something and that to me is like the single biggest downfall of that's the biggest negative of um some of the networking communities that i'm in is you always hear people like every like five o'clock on a friday you'll get this message that the weekends are separation season because your normal people will only um you know they're not going to work again until monday morning and i'm like oh my god i need to be part of the community that's doing 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 and then i feel bad when i take some time off the second thing that it reminded me of is, and I'm actually going to add a third. The second thing it reminded me of is how few people are really, really good at mastering time, right? So they don't have, they, I don't have enough time in my day. Well, that's probably because of the way that you manage your time. And I wonder how many people are really, um, don't realize how bad they are at that. Um, but we've got a solution coming up for that shortly that we can help people with. So a little bit of a teaser there on that. And then the third thing I was going to say is um, I listened recently to Tony on, he was on Callie's podcast, Callie Keen's podcast um, and um, the end hype and hype. And um, Tony said that um, 
he hears from people all the time, like, and I hope he talks about this on our podcast. Like people say, I don't have time to do that. And his first question back to them is show me your calendar, right? Show me your calendar. If you don't have time, show me your calendar. And people immediately are like, oh crap, he called me on it, right? But he's like, honestly, after everything that he had gone through to get himself through college and it took him a while to get through college and to start his career, when he went to his first job post-college, he felt like he was working part-time because he was so used to working those extraordinary long days of school and work and work. And so when he got to a nine to five job, he felt like it was part-time. And so he refers to people that work that nine to five corporate work as having part-time jobs. And it's kind of humorous, but it's also really true because I mean, when's the last time that you worked a 40 hour work week? Yeah. And it, uh, it's funny. Cause I, I, I have no problem taking time off now. And that's, I spent uh, all of my twenties and most of my thirties working seven days a week. Uh, just trying to either make ends meet or, or trying to get the business going, whatever it was. Um, and I'm, I missed a lot of things in my life because, you know, I'm, I'm too busy. I was like, oh, I can't take this weekend off. I can't go there. I can't do this because work always got in the way. And I, at one point, I was just kind of like, you know what? Screw it. Taking time off is doing something productive, going on a hike, going to visit friends, going. And it's not like I'm sitting around binging Netflix all weekend. I mean, sometimes that has to happen. But, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where like, you know, taking that time off is, is important for both mental and physical health. But I, I do understand that, that story that you told about Tony, because when I left the restaurant industry and got a nine to five job, uh, the first uh, probably six months, like every weekend I was blown away by the fact I was like, so I don't, I don't have to do any work this weekend. I mean, I don't have to come in tomorrow. I will, if you need me to. And they're like, no, we don't, <laughs> office is closed on Saturdays and Sundays. <laughs> Well, okay. I'm available if you need me. Don't worry. You know, <laughs> when we were your corporate, when we were working yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree. It's crazy how, um, I look now and I think still, even, even now today though, I would absolutely would not trade what we're doing now to go back to corporate America. I wouldn't, um, but we should probably wrap up and uh, bring Tony in really excited for this conversation. Can't wait to see where it goes. So let's take a quick break and then we'll bring Tony. All right. Hey everyone, we wanted to tell you about our latest course, Foundation 52, that is now available through our website. This course is built to provide tools and techniques every week of the year, and it's designed to improve your small business. If you're thinking about starting a business, this is a great resource for you as well. We walk you through sales, customer service, disaster planning, growth strategies, and so much more. Head on over to sbpace.com to sign up today. All right, welcome back, and now we've got Tony Watley with us. Hey, Tony, it is so great to have you on the show. We're excited. Julie, what is going on? Corey, what is going on with you too? Oh, you know, just plugging along, just pushing out courses, pushing out content, <laughs> you know, staying busy, staying busy as always. Yes, I keep him busy, Tony. Yes. <laughs> I So let's start out by talking a little bit about your backstory and how you got to where you are because well, honestly, I've heard you tell it like four times and I love the story so much. And I want to make sure that all of our listeners understand exactly what it is that you've done and, and how you've done it. That's good. So now you're going to hear it the fifth time, but you know what? I always try to challenge myself to tell it better every single time. So you're going to get the best version of it you've ever heard. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up lower middle-class suburb of Houston, small town, about 15,000 population. Mom is a 
Japanese immigrant. I was actually born in Japan too. And when we moved here, I was about two years old. So I only know the United States. And actually, if you ask me if I like sushi or Japanese car, the answer is no. So I'm, I'm very American. <laughs> That's because it was my dad. He's a Louisiana redneck, basically, that was in the military, a Vietnam vet. And after the military, he worked in the construction and refinery business here in Houston. My mom worked as the public school cafeteria worker her entire career. Both of them are happily retired now doing their thing. But I had very, very disciplinarian parents. My mom was the educational disciplinarian. My dad was the Marine Sergeant disciplinarian and all the other regards. And I just knew that I had to show up every day, put in the work and not really complain. And I, and I guess I have friends going back since we were kindergarten. And one of the things that I'll always tell you is like, you didn't really have the easiest life, but you never complained about it. And I knew that because of my parents, we always learned that other people had things worse and I shouldn't be you know, ungrateful. And that even though we didn't have a lot, we had a lot of pride and value in what we did have. And honestly, the first three houses that I grew up in, they were all flip houses, basically what we'd call today. So we'd go literally go buy the crappiest house in the cheapest neighborhood because my mom and dad valued education. So we moved to a place with a good public school district. And the only way we could get in there was outside of a trailer home or a cheap house. And so we lived in these houses and we flipped them. And you know, even as a kid, I was learning how to replace linoleum tile and painting walls. And that was just normal for me. And, you know, and by the time we were done with the house, it was actually one of the nicer houses in each of those neighborhoods. So they started out with a tiny house, got a medium-sized house and a little bit bigger medium-sized house, you know, over my, over my whole school years. And so I learned the value of hard work and, you know, people th think about kidpreneurs and entrepreneurs. And for me, I just didn't have any money. So for me, that was just working. I didn't think it was a business like me mowing yards and walking dogs and washing cars and raking leaves. Like I didn't think of that as an entrepreneur or kidpreneur. I think that's cool now. Like I, I do identify what that is, but for me, that was just a, a means to get skateboards or bicycles or video games and buy some candy and maybe some nice shoes or something. So it was just a means to an end, really. Love it. I love it. Um, so you, as you um, kind of scaled up your um, entrepreneurial career from being a kid to where you are now, mm -hmm. right? You, um, you, you, I know you took a pit stop and I'm not a pit stop, but you you have your college degree and then you're, you went on and I, I think if I remember the story correctly, your your first like full-time like job out of college, you felt like you were just working part-time because you had been working so many hours to get through college to pay your way through college. Yeah, that's right. I was working construction just like my dad in the chemical refineries here in Houston. And I would get home around 5.30 in the afternoon and I would change and take a quick shower and go to the University of Houston. And I would go to school from 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. Basically, every weekday night. And then on the weekends, I was waiting tables on, on Saturday and Sunday nights. And I was also working as a mechanic on Saturday mornings at a local shop. So I was working three jobs. I was really sleep deprived. My grades actually kind of struggled. I, although I have an engineering degree, it was actually very hard for me. I was a straight A student in high school, but when you get to engineering school, all straight A's, they're all straight A students because so the average actually comes down when we're all like C students and B students at that point. And it, it was tough for me. I didn't enjoy college at all because I was broke and, and stressed out and my uh, girlfriends didn't want to stay with me because I was always gone or working. And I just didn't really enjoy that. So when people tell me they loved college and all the university, I was like, geez, I had like seven years of brutality and having to pay for it myself, you know, because I was 
outrunning the whole, you know, family stigma. I mean, I, I give a lot of credit to my dad. He was the first one in our family to, to get a house that didn't have wheels attached to it. So he made that first effort to go join the military and get himself out of that situation. And then that led for me to be the first one in my family to go to the college, even though I had to pay for it myself. I'm okay with that. I never complained about it. But yeah, when I get out of college and I get a, a big boy salary job of $40,000, whatever entry level junior project manager makes back then. And I was getting home at 4.30 in the afternoon because you started earlier. And I, I was like, well, what do I do the rest of the day? Like, this is lame. Like, and so I, I, like most young men, I, I think I hit the bar scene a little too hard for a few months and figured out that wasn't really getting me where I wanted to go. And I still had a lot of big dreams. And so I started picking up extra jobs. I actually went back and was waiting tables at the restaurant that I, I formerly worked at. It's called Bradley's. It was a brewery steakhouse in Clear Lake area. And it's long gone since then. But I just went back and I, and I never had like a, a worried about being embarrassed. Like most people don't want to do that kind of stuff because they think they're too good for it. Right. My first job was McDonald's. And sometimes I had to go clean the restrooms and mop the floors, but you know, I always did a good job. I just make sure I did the best job I could. And any job I've ever had, I had that same regard. I just wanted to do my best. And I really wasn't embarrassed about things I had to do to go get the things that I wanted to have or have achieved. And I think that a lot of times people's egos get in their way and they think they're too good to do something and then they don't do anything and they end up just stuck where they're at. So I've always had that tendency just to do it suck it up and, and get it done. Yeah, that's, that's a, such a good point. And, and I, I totally agree with that because a lot of, I've, I was in restaurants for years and I'm kind of the same thing. Like I, I worked all throughout college. Uh, I dropped out of engineering after a semester because, because uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, I can't be a straight A student. Let me, uh, let me go find something that's a little. So, so Corey, you understand the horror of cleaning the women's restrooms. Oh God, the worst. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> You would like, think the men are a lot messier because we piss all over the wall and the floor, but I, I'm telling you, the women's, it's like a tornado blew through there every time oh, we go in there. That, that yeah, that's hilarious. Because I tell people that they're like, oh, no way. Because, you, you know, if you go over to, to, you know, a woman's house and look in their bathroom, you're like, oh, you know, it's kind of, no, they save it for when they go out in public. They, <laughs> they make the mess. What you, Julie, what are you women doing in the public restrooms? What are you guys doing in there? I mean, really? I know, wh listen, I know public restrooms are, women's are, they're terrible. And he has, Corey has this story about, um, I can't remember, it's just, there's a story of he literally was cleaning a restroom. There was like some chick like passed out in the restroom and he's like, oh God, he had to carry her out of the restroom. Oh her. yeah, no, that, that, <laughs> uh, my roommate at the time, it was a busy weekend and we needed an, an extra hand. And so he, he had never worked in a restaurant before or whatever. And, and so he came in and he was helping and he was upstairs, uh, sweeping and he goes into the girl's restroom and he's like oh Corey, uh you gotta come up here there's a girl and i'm like oh like it's like 2 15 in the morning and somebody's passed out in the bathroom we just found her um and i walk in and luckily i was friends with the, with the girl who was there and i was like oh it's just low okay cool um <laughs> but yeah that was <laughs> nah yeah but yeah the i i understand that whole uh having to work through through college and and I loved summers. And then especially when I got out, it was the same thing. Like, like, oh, wait, so after class or after work, I don't have to go to class. Like, you know, after class, I don't have to do homework. All I have to do is work right now. It's like, this is, this is a breeze. I can do this forever. <laughs> Absolutely. That's funny. Yeah, we're, we have spent, um, you know, probably the last, oh, I'll say like four or five months now, 
um, strategizing, right? So our business is fairly new, right? So let's, let's see, we're just coming up on our one year anniversary here of having SB Pays. Well, congrats. We are, thank you. We are, um, um, but, but we've built our entire strategic plan for 2021 around the fact that at some point this year, Corey is going to go back to, he's opening a restaurant, right? So he's not leaving SB Pace, but he's also going to be doing this other thing. So he's going to pull a little bit of a Beyonce or a Bay in your case, right? In that um, he will be, you know, doing double duty essentially. So he's going to be leveraging more hours in the day. So our strategy, we had to think through really carefully, like how do we, how do we keep things working at SB Pace and be able to do the things we need to do, but also give him that flexibility to be able to go pursue this passion at the same time and get this restaurant off the ground and know like, okay, there are things I'm going to have to take on that I normally wouldn't do. And um, just kind of learning, but being able to support that this is something that is really important to him and that he really, really wants to do. So he's going back to cleaning women's restrooms. Hey man, uh, you know what? I love the restaurant industry. I worked in it from 15 till about 26. And I really enjoyed the patrons and the regular customers. And, you know, being a manager of a brewery in your 20s is not a bad gig. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> yes, I bet not. I bet not. So, and you know, it, it, it it's the, there is a, a discipline that's required to work in a restaurant that yes. a lot of people aren't aware of and, and kind of take, just take for granted that it's, that that's easy work. And I think it's probably one of the hardest industries you can go into. Definitely. Especially those double shifts on the long days. And, you know, here's the best thing about restaurants. I used to be really shy in high school. And honestly, when I first started at McDonald's, I like to make the biscuits and cook and hide in the back because I didn't want my friends to see me at the front counter because I was kind of embarrassed of having to work. Right. And working in the restaurants, when I started waiting tables, I, I started at Olive Garden, like my age 18. What it does is it gives you a lot of repetitions of meeting strangers and having to rely on strangers and be able to read customers instantaneously to really drive your income. Like your performance is, it's a performance-based income. And I got really good at sales and, and reading people. And I, I'll tell you, like you guys worked in those restaurants. I could walk up and based on how they reacted to my greeting, I could tell if it was going to be a good tip or not. Just from that, just the reaction. And I was very accurate. I think like where you're nodding, you see this, like you walk up and say, Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be taking care of tonight. And if someone just looks at their menu and goes iced tea, like that's a, that's a low, that's a low tip already. You already know that <laughs> yeah, there's something wrong with them. They're not going to come around. It, it's a low tip, but it's also, uh, depending on, you know, how much energy I have at the time, it's also a challenge to see, okay, let me see if I can get this person to actually interact. Let me see if yeah. I can you know, like, like turn this into a, a 25% tip, not a there you you know, go. 15% tip. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit if we can and talk about the community that you've built with 365 driven, because I love the concept behind how you build communities and what's important to you in the community. And it's not what people think. It's not that vanity number of how many people you can get in. Obviously you want to grow them really big, but that's not what you're going after, is it? No, not at all. I think that's the social media of the 2008 and newer era is everybody's infatuated with getting followers. I got to get followers. Uh, can I, can I buy followers? It's always like they get the itch, like a crack be like, Hey, you got any more follows? Can you follow me? I'll follow you back. <laughs> and it doesn't even matter. Like to me, 
people mistake, especially like I listen on Clubhouse when people are talking about community building, but they have big followers and they're like, oh, let me tell you how I build a big community. And it's like, okay, you have 20,000 followers. That's not a community, right? They mistake the two. They think they're the same thing. So a community, let me, let me talk about followers. As followers is first of all, putting yourself on a pedestal or other people putting themselves lower on their pedestal because they like what you do. They believe what you're putting out. They like the content. I get it. it's entertainment. It's, it's education. It's inspiring. Like, cool. I like that. But it's really a one-way communication line between the person that you're following to you. So they're putting out their content and you might reply to their stuff once in a while or throw a like. And that's kind of like the feedback more than a communication channel. And if they're cool enough, maybe they'll reply back and go like thumbs up. Hey, thanks for liking my like, right? So it's not really a communication channel, first of all. It's really like it's, it's broadcasting, right? Now, a community is different because as a, as a true community builder, it's my duty, my duty to be embedded and be accessible to the people within my community. You never want to go in there with ego and say, all oh, you guys, thousands of people are here because of me and I'm super awesome. And you got to talk to my VA's VA's VA to get access to me because I'm just super cool. And I got my Lamborghini with the doors up and I'm posing in front of it. Like I'm too cool to talk to you guys on a daily basis, but I'll check in once a month. Like we see, we see communities like that. That's bullshit. That's not a real community. Be embedded in the community, be Tony rather than like, that's the Tony, right? Just be the person that's in there. And answer people's questions, give advice, show up every day. It's your community. If, if you're going to have a community, show up every day and respond to a few posts, throw some encouragement, congratulate the people sharing their wins, just be interactive, right? And it's also my duty to in, to create the strong bonds between individual members of the community, not my bonds to them, but their bonds between each other. So I want everybody in my 365 driven society to be best friends, even if I'm not their best friend, I want them to all be best friends because it's just like the local bar or the restaurant, Corey. If we have a favorite group of people that we want to go hang out with, they're all friends of ours and we can't wait to go see them just like at the local bar. That's what a real community is, you know? And, and I, I think a lot of times people just think it's this follower business model, which it's not even close. And there's a lot of people that don't have the, the right leadership ability or they have too much ego or not enough humility to run a, a large, you know, community base. I mean, I built these automotive communities to first one, it grew to over 300,000 registered members. And then I duplicated that same business model and I built a truck website and it grew to over 280,000 registered members. And everybody just knew me as Tony at, you know, had some cool cars and I would just interact with them and be a part of the community. And they all knew who the owner was. I didn't have to go around and humble brag that I was super cool and you're all here for me. No, I just created value for them gave them opportunities to become best friends by having racing events around all the hot spots in the country, got them off of their keyboards and off of their screen names to go put names with faces and real names. And then they left those events after racing each other, talking a little trash, hanging out in the hotel, drinking at the bar, like, man, these people are really cool. And then what do they do? They go back online on Monday and now they're all best friends and they all like to, and they just keep coming back because they know people and that's, what's important, you know? And, you know, Facebook is kind of like the same business model that I created back then. And it's, it's very similar. They just do it on a higher level. So it's, we go back there because our friends are there. We don't like Zuckerberg. Let's be honest. It's like kind of a dweeb and he's, he's, he's too controlling and not enough experience and, and wisdom in his mind. He's just too, too powerful. And, but we don't go there for him, right? We go there for the people. That's what a community is. Yeah. And I love the, the concept of just being genuine in the community 
and you you said something that I was gonna bring up and and I, I really like it. It's the providing value instead of validation. It's the like I go to I, I join a community because I get something out of it, not because somebody's gonna recognize that I'm there. And you know, that person has the community because they want to like they're genuinely providing value. They're not doing it because they want a, a pat on the back or you know their ego boosted. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How has the your ability to promote those relationships in the community changed over the last year as a result of being able to now I know you did you had some events in 2020 correct correct in October we did one in Utah yeah Corey was admiring it on your website earlier today mm -hmm. he's like oh that looks like fun <laughs> um so is it did anything change though in how you were you went about kind of trying to build and promote that community while everybody was so unsure of what was happening in the world and there were so many polar polarizing opinions of what people should and shouldn't be doing? I mean, I think that for me, I'm a data number. I'm a numbers and data guy. Obviously, I'm an engineer. I like to analyze things. And I think when th at this time last year, when March was kicking off, my wife were actually vacationing in Portugal when COVID was kicking off. And everybody was like texting us like, oh, you guys get to go home. They're going to close the borders. And they're all freaking out and, and buying all the toilet paper, remember? <laughs> and we're in Portugal. We're actually closer to the source of, you know, things that were going on in, in UK and, and Spain and stuff like that. And people there weren't like all hyped up and freaked out about it because the way the news media reports things in Europe is different than the United States. So the U.S., we could still see the same channels. They were all like, oh, my God, everybody's going to die. And Jesus is going to reach down with lightning bolts and strike everybody. And if you don't have a mask, you're just going to die. Ah. And everybody's, well, shit, I need some toilet paper, you know, whatever that came from. <laughs> In Europe, everybody's like, oh, it's just another disease. It's just a, it's another disease. Like, you know, people are going to die. You know, it's be safe, right? And so looking at the data and we're all a little bit freaked out and, you know, but after about two months of seeing the trends, you're like, okay, we kind of know who it's affecting. It's elderly and people with immune system deficiencies. That's kind of what we're seeing. And, you know, as the year went on, I started to notice that 2020 was actually a, it's a separation season. You've seen a lot of people who were influencers or people that perceived as leaders, like they crumbled like little, little weaklings because, they, they didn't have certainty anymore and they were, oh, and they became part of the drama, right? And a few of us were kind of sitting back and I'm thinking like, well, I thought you were kind of alpha, super strong person. Now you're like being all weak and like, like panic mode, like at the first sign of adversity. But I know who my audience is. I said, they're not like that. And so while everybody was canceling their events without giving refunds, by the way, like we're just canceling our event. You know, we'll, we might give you credit for next year's event. That happened to a few times. I actually got four events I was supposed to go speak at that got canceled. And, and it's like, okay, whatever. It's like, you know, while well, these other people are canceling their event, I'm going to go have an event. And it, it was really a, a kind of a, a finger in their eye kind of thing. Right. It's like, so actually we named it advance. Like while all of you are retreating, we're going to advance. Oh, I love that. And, and, and it's like, this isn't a retreat. It's an advance. We're moving ahead. We're not here to relax and screw around. It's, it's a, an advancement. So some people are like, oh my God, you're never going to sell that out. Like people are like still freaked out about traveling. Okay. So yeah, we had a few people fly in from Hawaii. We had people come in from Canada, 
filled out like 32 seats, high ticket mastermind. And they're spending three dollars, three thousand a person. And, and everybody's like, Oh my God, Tony's actually having an event. And like, it, it's doing well. And like, yeah. And nobody died, you know, and everybody loved it. And they were like, I can't wait to come back again next year. So listen to your audience, know who they are and know what they want out of you and what they'd be willing to do to go get the, get the, the love and the attention and the resources they need. And I had to make that bet. I mean, I put a $15,000 credit card deposit down on the facility to rent out before I could go market it, but I knew my people, you know, and, and it sold out. So it was kind of like, you just got to have to trust your gut and, and turn off all the news, regardless of what side of politics you're on, turn off all the news. It's not there to inform you. It's there to enrage you, make you go share their links back to their website so they can generate billions of dollars in advertising revenue. So it has nothing to do with information or looking out for you. So I just turned, I unfollowed all that shit after 2016. I don't follow any news local or in national and anybody that keeps regurgitating a bunch of news headlines. I just unfollow them too. I, same way. I do not, I don't, I don't even have like live TV. So it's not even an option for me. I'm just, and I have no desire to, to listen to it. I don't, I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm half Japanese and apparently I guess everybody hates Asians now and I'm supposed to feel like a victim. So I guess that, you know, I had to go maybe go see the news headline for that somewhere, but I just don't see that in my life. I saw that. So the only time I ever see the news is uh, when I'm at the gym because they have it on TV. And and I was going to let you know that uh, you're supposed to be living in fear now. Um, so should my white half hate my Japanese half? Because that yes. gets confusing. Yes, 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 she should. <laughs> there, so. There's a chart. Uh, you can get it on CNN, I'm sure. It tells you who you're okay. supposed to hate in fear. Um, Got it. And that's like an internal struggle right there. Like, I, should I hate myself or love myself? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is the question. Um I, you know, on the the whole canceling of events in 2020 and the refunds, I think the part that really like was hard to swallow on that was in many, and so I had like four different things that have been canceled on me. And um, one of them was like a $5,000 event, right? That mm -hmm. I had paid for in advance to go. And they're like, oh, we're just going to push it to 2021, right? And here's the new dates, right? And it's like, there were people who were enraged that there wasn't even an option. And then so finally they're like, well, you could have a refund, but it's only like 40% of the ticket price. And it's like, what the, <laughs> like I mean, I get it because <coughs> we have to put down the non-refundable deposit on those venues. And so they didn't like, so the money that you guys get into those events gets spent as soon as you get it. So I get it. I understand that. I don't want to break the people for something that was beyond their control. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it it just was. It, it's a very, as I, I always say, there there's a right way to handle difficult yeah. situations, right? And it start all starts with communication and how you're giving that information to people to let them know, like we would love to give you all of your money back, but the reality yeah. is we don't have your money anymore. That's the transparency we need. I agree. Just yeah. be honest. People will understand. Yeah, you know, uh, because of the problem is if saying like, okay, here's the option of refunding, they know that if they put that out there that everybody's going to just take a refund. And if they want to go to the event next year, they'll buy the ticket again, but that money's already spent. So I get it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you know this or not, but um, a couple of weeks ago, you were the reason that I was late for a meeting. Oh, don't blame me. Don't <laughs> well, you dare. Full accountability, Julie, come on. <laughs> and here's why you were, you were a leading a clubhouse room. I think it was your room. The, is it breakfast with champions? Yeah, I'm a co-host in that one with Glenn Lundy. Yeah, yeah. 
And you were telling a story about this trip that you and your wife took and where you did this exercise, pieces of paper, separate rooms, <laughs> write down the names and how that was such a game changer for your business. And um, what you did was, is an incredibly hard thing for most people to do. Like 99% of the people in the world are not willing to do what you did. And I was, I'm really hoping that you will share this story with our listeners and talk about why you did it and why you think everyone should do it. Yeah, this is a good one because my entire life, I've always been somewhat of a uh, empath and try to help other people. So I've always considered myself a good person. And when I left corporate in 2015 to just try to figure out what I wanted to do to create impact in this world, I didn't have all the answers at that time. I was in a near-death accident in 2015 racing cars. And, and so by the time 2016 was ending, I started thinking, okay, I think I, I have the answer. I want to go impact people by teaching them business principles and the things I've had success in. And so I started thinking about that and I put, I started making video content. I joined Toastmasters to try to get better at speaking and these things. And I had some friends that were in the car circles and, and people that I'd known for 10, 20 years, sometimes that were making fun of what I was doing they're, they're like, what do you think you're Tony Robbins now? Are you a motivational speaker? And like, just kind of passive aggressive being dicks is, to be honest. And I was like, no, dude, I like, I just, I, 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 I became successful, but I only impacted people I closely knew. They, these are the kind of people that had perks and benefits from being around me, right? Because they get discounts on car parts and wheels and stuff from some of the businesses I had created. And so they weren't true friends. They were just, I was a friend of convenience and kind of hurt. And then 2018, and I actually was coaching people to build up my programs and my processes and repeatability. And I was building the group and I launched my book became a number one bestseller on Amazon, sold thousands of copies. And even then some of them would make fun of that. They're like, oh, you probably paid somebody. You probably bought a thousand of your own books and just being little haters, right? And so 18, I didn't pay myself at all. 17 and 18, I didn't pay myself. I was going through the process and, you know, living off savings that we had built up. And, and I, when I finally started to get to the end of 2018, I decided, you know, like it's been a rough year. My wife and I, she was starting her real estate business. I was starting my coaching business. And we were on vacation in Colorado. We got up on New Year's Day, January 1, 2019. And we said, we're going to clean house. Like we, we need to get rid of these toxic relationships in our life. And she took a piece of paper and, and a pen and I got one. And we both made a list. Each of us made a list of names that we deemed as toxic that we just need to get rid of these people from our life. And being that we're married and we've been together 18 years, we kind of knew like the people, right? And we made an agreement like, hey, if there's a name on your list, I will remove them from my circle. And if there's a name on my list, you'll remove them from your circle as well. There's a lot of overlap there, obviously, but there's probably five or six per, and I think I came up with 12 and she probably came up with 20 because she's a little bit more judgmental than me. She's got a better radar for people than me. And we said, okay. And so we deleted all those people from social media. We stopped, you know, taking their invites to go do things or spend time with them. We just created boundaries. I mean, we weren't rude about it. We just kind of just kind of just backed off into the shadows and separated ourselves. And, you know, and of course word gets out of, you know, one of them discovers we're unfriended and you kind of, they get on their little text circles and I get it. And like, but I didn't care at that point because it had already been a rough year. And I felt that 
I was already down and, and I felt like they were kicking me while I was down and I was trying to, to dig my way out of that hole. And I was like, I don't need these people in my life, you know? And so we did that. And it was actually really hard. And when you're going through this process, the thing is that we hear that you should cultivate and curate the circle of people around you, whether that's your friends or your family, or even if it's your spouse and you need to assess their toxicity and if they bring you energy or if they rob your energy and that's the easiest way to really classify people because there's no in between i mean some people have bad days that's not who their nature is what their habits are so you know best way to assess that is when you see their name flash on your phone screen when they're calling you do you go oh wait man i can't wait to have this conversation like so glad they called me or do you go fuck what do they want now or like ah oh, them again well that's a indicator right now their initial reaction maybe when someone says their name what is your reaction what's your emotion to that is it like fear or anger or i just want to avoid them or you know so assess those kind of people in your life and get rid of them because we all nod our heads we go yeah that's a great idea yeah we should do that yeah the circle matters you become the average of the five people you hang around everybody's like everybody agrees on it it sounds like common sense but until you take that actual action to separate yourself and create boundaries it's all hearsay. Like it doesn't even matter. You can nod your head to all the good information you can, but until you do something about it, it doesn't matter. So we literally did that. And it upset a few people, obviously, because they're like, you know, what happened? You know, did I say something? It's like, no, we just, we just think that uh, we need to move on. You know, we're, we're, we've grown apart. We have different core values with different alignments. I don't feel like I'm getting much support from you. And I'm not asking you to support me. So I, I just, we're ready to go move on and do things that wish you well. I don't hold any resentment. I don't like being a person that holds grudges and things like that. And as funny as this, after actually, after this call, we're going to the racetrack because of a big event here in Houston. And I'll probably see 10 of those people there at the track. And I'm okay with that. You know, they, they laughed at me when I started it, but I'm now I'm out earning all of them doing what I truly love and actually found my purpose. So I could see my vision. I could see my dreams. They didn't have to believe in it. I just still execute. And you know, and I'm okay being around that. I actually like to make them uncomfortable because I show that I'm still there. I don't hide from people, you know, and it's, it was a, it was a tough exercise, Julie. You go through a mourning period because all relationships, good and bad, you feel like, is there something I could have done to make it better? Was it me or was it them? And you start going through this bargaining phase of your life and you, and you, you, at first you go, maybe it was me. Maybe it was me. Maybe I didn't give them enough attention. Maybe I was the asshole. Maybe something you start to bargain and it starts to over a period of time you're like no nope, they were the asshole like they were always asking me to do stuff and give them stuff and do all this stuff for them but i never asked them for anything so you know balance was always in my favor and and you know probably two or three month period you'll go through that but then you realize after the back end of that like it was the best decision we've ever made best decision i i mean lisa she got rid of her maid of honor like this was her best friend since high school was very passive aggressive and envious and jealous and toxic. And she realized that over years. And I actually held her friend in a higher regard because I didn't get to see all the thing that went in the background, but she got rid of her very best friend from high school. That was our maid of honor in our wedding. And you know, that, that shows you how strong it can be, how close people can be to you that are actually toxic to you and trying to hold you back. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I love that. I love that story so much every time like I've heard it I think it's like the third time now and I just am captivated by it right because it takes an incredible amount of strength because we're not conditioned to do that right we are we're conditioned to um just leave these people in our lives and you know me personally my number one core value is loyalty 
Mm-hmm. And, but the, the benefit of loyalty as my number one core value is that when somebody sort of offends that value on to me, it's easy for me to just cut them. But, you know, I spent like 2020 was really, really tough. And I, you, you not even because of COVID, but you understand fundamentally when you're starting a new business, right? It is a grind and it never really goes the way you think it's going to go. And support comes from the strangest places. Like you're expecting it to come from these people who are like on your A-list. And those people, they're the people that seem to be like, they have the least amount of belief in you. They don't like, they're, they're never, they never say anything. They never ask about it. They're just, they don't, it's like, they don't care. And the kind of support that you're looking for that, you know, we needed the most in 2020 was, Hey, just share our shit, like our stuff, talk about us. Like you don't have to buy anything from us, but at least at the very, very least, ask us how we're doing. Right. And you find out really fast, like who's in your corner and my network, my personal network looks 100% different today than it did a year ago. 100%. What? That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad you, you shared that. That's excellent. And I know why. I mean, I've, I've learned and I understand why people behave like that. It's even funny because there's a, there's a meme that kind of circulates Facebook and Instagram once in a while. And the, the first screen is someone posting like, I got a new job. And it shows like how many people liked it. And it's like shitloads of people are like, yeah, congrats. And everybody's happy because you got a new job. And then the second screen is I started a new business. And there's like two people that liked it and nobody responded. And it's so true. And here's why. The people you surround yourself with, we all kind of hang out on plateaus, okay? Not mountains, because mountains are eternally climbing, and there's always a peak somewhere, and we're all climbing together. That sounds cool, but it's not reality. So it's life is a series of plateaus. You climb up a little, and you hit the, the level on the top, and everybody hangs out on the top of the plateau together in that circle, and they get complacent and comfortable, usually at that income level, because let's be honest, most people we all have some level of insecurity or some kind of self-doubt or negative head trash talk in our minds. And so we make it to a plateau and sometimes we look back and go, wow, I've achieved more than I've ever thought possible in my life. Like my life's actually not so bad. And I didn't think I would have this much success. We kind of believe that. So we hang out on plateaus of people that have that exact same thought about the other same people on the same plateau as them. Right. And so when they see, you know, Julie and and Corey starting a, a new business or something that's outside of the norm, you're challenging their comfort zone because they already feel like they overachieved just to make it to that level. But now they see you and you want more, like who are they to want more? So their internal competitiveness or, or ego or insecurities get turned up on the fire and they see you guys trying to climb onto the next plateau and they don't like that. It makes them uncomfortable because they know, well, I'm smarter than Julie. I'm, I'm better looking than Corey. I could do that too. And you know, why, what makes them think they're so special? Who do they think they are? And that's their internal shit talking. Not That's not how they express it, but that's what they're thinking. And so you guys are over there building your scaffolds and your ladders to get to the next plateau and they're throwing rocks at it, trying to kick, kick it down because as you start to grow brighter and brighter and brighter, what happens, you start to illuminate the darkness in the people that surround you and it makes them really uncomfortable. And you can tell when you start to be around people that you make them uncomfortable because you've changed, you've improved and they're still the same person. If they don't have a strong enough uh, self-love or, or, or a confidence about them, they're going to feel challenged by that. And they don't like 
discomfort. And what do most people do? They gravitate towards comfort. So to them, a comfort is getting away from you or trying to knock you back down to the same level as them. Yep. That whole pain avoidance, right? Yep. <laughs> it's, uh, I always wonder like, and I don't know for you, if, you know, what drives you or whatever, but for me, it, it's one of those things where like, I'm not, I'm not looking for accolades. I'm not looking for recognition or whatever. And people are like, well, why are you going to do that? You know, I don't want to open up one restaurant. I want to open up 10 restaurants. They're like, why do you want to do that? It's like, well, cause I can, cause it's there. Like that, yeah. that's like, what's the next, the, the next logical step after opening one restaurant, open up another restaurant. You know, why do you want to do that? Well, it's, I mean, obviously money is a motivator, but it, it's just cause it's there. It's, it's the challenge it's there to do. Yeah. 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 They don't, they don't understand that though. They're like, Hey, don't you have enough Corey in your life? Like good enough. Like, why do you always want more? Why do you work so hard? They say stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yes, they do. Um, I mean, we're going to start to wrap up. I've got two more things for you. Um, the first one is I, I laughed to myself. I don't know that I've told anybody this story before, but, um, but your book came out 2018, Tony. Yep. May, May of 2018. Um, did you run Facebook ads? No, I didn't. I just did it organically. So I don't know how I heard about it. And I didn't know who you were, but I bought that book the second day it was available. Oh, I was like, this looks like a really interesting book. Right. And I, I don't know where I, I don't know where I saw that it was available. And I, I, I bought it and devoured it in, you know, like a weekend. I, I read it, like captured like a notebook full of notes. And I just laugh now when I, because I didn't make the connection that it was you that wrote that book until probably like four months ago. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so it's so funny. Like I just, I had no, no clue. And then like to realize like how many people bought that book, right? That was just like a complete and total game changer for people. So it just kind of makes me laugh that one, I was that like unaware and two that I had just organically found that book and bought it. And like, as soon as it was available, I was like, I bought that book. Well, I appreciate that because Imagine how awkward this conversation would be if you're like, yeah, I bought that book and it was a piece of shit and I gave you a one-star review and I feel really bad about that now. <laughs> yeah, that would be super awkward, but I feel like you would take that with like a champ. You'd be oh, like, yeah, I share, I share my one-star reviews. It's kind of like reading the mean tweets for celebrities. I enjoy those. I love it. We, we joke that we, we will take, so we have a, I don't know, we, we have a book as well. Right. And, yeah. um, we will take one star reviews. We'll take one star reviews on our podcast and on our book because it just means somebody took the time to actually review it. Yeah, man. It's like the, the haters become your best fans. And yeah, I, actually I was looking at it yesterday and there was a one star review from December and it was some guy complaining that I didn't give him the blueprint to build a million dollar business in my book. Like there's no business idea in this book to become a millionaire. And I'm like, man, that's cute. Like, you know, the, the whole book, like that's literally the stuff I learned to become a multimillionaire and you're complaining. I didn't spoon feed you with the I actual idea for him. Like I, like I knew that this guy was going to buy this book and what his perfect business and his skill set was going to create. And, you know, I didn't include his name on the title, but like, dude, here's your blueprint to make a million dollar business. Like it blows my mind how people have such weird expectations for a $14 resource. I know. You know what else blows my mind? The people who ask the question of, I want to start a business. What should I do? It's like, are you, are you, are you fucking kidding me? 
like and the book actually answers that question though see yeah he didn't he must have skipped that chapter let's say we'll cut him some slack <laughs> um all right then my final question for you do you have any other questions Corey? No. my final question for you is this what does failure mean to you giving up not showing up settling for less than that's that's possible for you i think that's what all things like my my big word is consistency right showing up every day and putting in the work doing the even the smallest trivial tasks that move you closer to success and it's not really a failure until you quit or quit showing up you know and most people don't understand that to me it's a strategic advantage knowing that you know I congratulated for your your one year anniversary for your business is coming up that's that shows a testament of you being committed to doing something cuz we already know that 50% of all businesses fail within year two, and you're about to enter year two. So you've already made it past a lot of people who quit. And just observing for the last 20 years of my friends and colleagues and people I've known starting businesses, they last about two months, three months if they think they're good, right? And I know this, that's human behavior. Look at where we're in month three right now of 2021. How many people do you think kept their New Year's resolutions to go back to the gym multiple times a week and lose their 15 pounds? And people bust their resolutions in the first month. It's the human nature to start out strong and feel inspired and then realize, like, this is on like hard work. Like, this is not easy to get the result. I just want the shortcut. And they don't find that. So they quit or they think nobody's paying attention. I must not be good enough. So I'm not cut out for this. And they quit. Well, for people like me, I know that there's a strategic advantage just outlasting people. So if I start something, I won't even start unless I go 12 months. Like my podcast, I said, I'm going to go 12 months, an episode every week minimum, regardless of how many downloads I have and how many people I think are liking it or not liking it. I'll, I'll take the feedback, keep improving myself as a host and as a guest. And I still see people like going into podcast groups on Facebook. Hey guys, how many downloads did you get in your first 30 days? I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter. Because when I launched my podcast a little over two years ago, it had like 40 or 50 downloads per episode at that time, really small. But now when I go back to those same episodes, there's thousands that have listened to those episodes by now. So people discover your podcast all the time and they go back and they binge listen to earliest podcasts. So don't worry about what people are downloading right now and realize that if you keep creating value on a constant basis, people will discover it years from now and they'll still go back and listen to those same episodes. So it doesn't even matter. Like the real time stats really don't matter. You know, and you may be thinking, well, I want to get a thousand downloads per episode. I'm going to be super awesome. Like, is it really that awesome? I don't think so because progress is cool, but maybe five years from now, all of your episodes going back to the zero We'll have 10,000 per episode. See yep. what I mean? Yep. That's exactly why we, um, so we just recently started a new um, project. It's called Project 365. And Good number. we started it on the, the 15th of March. And it's literally a, for 365 days, we have committed to posting a video on YouTube that is three minutes or less. And they're in these different business categories. We're just answering a question, right? Mm -hmm. And we try and do single take on the videos and um, release them every day. And the whole point of it is that consistency and thinking about how many times people find a television series in like the third or fourth season. And they're like, 
oh, holy shit, this is really good. And they go back all the way to the beginning and then they tell all their friends like, yo, have you guys watched this series? Unless it's like something they're really embarrassed about, like, you know, Beverly Hills 90210 or something, they're going to share it. So our, you know, thing is this, like, and I, I was just talking about this yesterday on Clubhouse to a group of people. And I put it like in our newsletter this week, like, look, here's the reality. Our starting stat for YouTube subscribers to our YouTube channel, three, three people. Right. And I'm like, I don't that's care. Probably your, that's probably your, your kids and your parents. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> one of them is me. <laughs> yeah. One of them is not me. Unfortunately, I don't even subscribe. <laughs> so, See, but that, but that's cool. That's cool yeah. though. You know, you're committed. Yeah. Cause we're like, but, but you know, and there's a lot of really great lessons that we'll be able to take away from it and the consistency of doing it. And yeah. we're going to get better over time. Right. They're oh, going to yeah. be, they're, they're rough in the beginning, but it's this ability to, commit to something, do it, and, and then build from that and see where that goes. But, you know, I don't care in the beginning if we have, I would expect we won't see momentum on it for like four or five, six months. Right. But then we will. So it's like, you just have to be in it for like the long term. And there's so many people that just want to see results today and, and you can't, you just don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you're listening to this, Use this as a strategy. Just understand that I just got to outlast people. If I can go 12 months consistently, I'm going to only have to compete with 20% of the actual people that make it through that, that gate. So 80% of your competition is going to drop off because they're weak as fuck and they don't have the, the diligence. They don't have the drive to do it. So you want to get to that 12 month mark where now you only have 20% of the people to compete against. And most people don't understand that. And that goes for any business not just podcasting it's anything you want to start yeah and one crazy fact that i saw about podcasts before we wrap up um that i think it's most pot the average podcast lasts seven episodes yeah we call it pod fade yeah that's as as far as most people get is seven episodes you know what our strategy was we recorded 10 before we even started before we started (laughs) releasing them so we could beat that statistic yeah there you go see you you had a 30 you had a 30 percent increase over the failure rate yeah great and you are you will be our 65th episode tony hey that's awesome see that's kind of like 365 see it works out yeah (laughs) yes it does that's a meaningful number so all right we're gonna wrap up can you tell our listeners how they can find you Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. My website is 365driven.com. And from there, you'll be able to find my book, my podcast, which is called 365 Driven and everything else about it. I hang out easy one place, 365driven.com. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Tony. It's been such a pleasure having you. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate you. Yes, and you can find out everything that you want to find out about us on sbpace.com. Connect with us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And go ahead and subscribe to our podcast, like us, and please give us a review. We love feedback. We do. And we also love to talk to new people. So if you want to be a guest, fill out uh, the form on our website and reach out to us. Let us know if there's any topics you want uh, want us to cover as well. Also, we have a book out there. It is called Seriously Now What? A Small Business Guide to Disaster Preparedness. It is a bestseller on Amazon. It comes with a digital workbook. And after you read it, give us a review. And like we said, one star, five star, doesn't matter. Just give us a review. Yes. I'm Julie. And I'm Corey. And this was BizQuick, helping small businesses across America. 